I know the night is late. I know that you're tired. Uh, but uh, I do want to share a thought tonight I think will be helpful uh, right from the Word of God. So if you have your copy of the Bible, would you open it to 1 Corinthians uh, chapter number 3? 1 Corinthians chapter number 3. Let me read a few verses for us uh, just to get us started. I won't be long tonight, but as I said, I really uh, feel as if this message will be a blessing uh, not just to pastors, although I think pastors, this will be a special blessing to you, uh, but to all of us. If you're here tonight at a conference like this, what that tells me is that you have a desire to invest in people. And I'm guessing that the people that are in this room tonight are the people that are making a difference uh, in your local churches. Uh, you're the teachers, uh, you're the leaders, you're the disciplers, uh, you're the pastors, and uh, you're the ones whom God is using. Not the only ones, I understand that, but I believe that this message will be a great blessing to you if you will allow it to. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, notice please, if you would, verse number 1, where the Bible says, And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. I have fed you with milk and not with meat. For hitherto you were not able to bear it, neither yet now are ye able. For ye are yet carnal. For whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are ye not carnal and walk as men? For one saith, I am of Paul, and Another, I am of Apollos. Are you not carnal? Who, who then is Paul and, and who is Apollos but ministers by whom ye believed, even as the Lord gave to every man? I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth, but, but God. That giveth the increase. Now he that planteth and he that watereth are one. And every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are laborers together with God. Ye are God's husbandry. Ye are God's building. And Lord, we are grateful that we belong to you. We're grateful that the work that we do is empowered by you. And even as this message that has been preached already tonight looms in our minds, we are grateful that you are willing to do in our lives what it takes for us to be usable and to be fruitful for your cause. And Lord, I'm praying that in this very message, you would continue to do that work. I pray that you would speak deeply on the inside as we listen. Pray that you would do the work tonight that I cannot do, the, the, the down deep, down in the heart, convicting work of your Holy Spirit. I pray that you would bless every person in this room, every church that's represented. I pray, God, that you would uh, do a work in our lives in these days that would be long-lasting, ultimately would benefit the people whom we serve. Please, God, bless this message tonight, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. So appreciate the, the heart that uh, this church has, obviously, and, and that you have for your nation. Australia, 
Obviously, I'm an American, if you didn't figure that out yet. Uh, this, is, this is our nation's birthday today, July 4th. And as you sang that song a moment ago, the group, and talked about lamenting the direction of Australia, I just got to thinking we could have just put America in and said the exact same things. We live in a dark world. We live in a world where evil men and seducers are waxing worse and worse. And things are not getting better, they're getting worse. Uh, but we have hope. And God has us here for this season. And there are things that God wants to do and ways by which God wants to bless. And I have great, I have great hope that meetings like these can make a difference in the hearts and lives of people. You think about a, a little boy that lived 20 minutes from here in a housing project who got up tonight and preached the message, pastored this very church, and God's using him in a great way. And God does that in all of our lives. I think about my own testimony. I grew up as well in uh, a split home. Uh, my dad was an alcoholic as well. And my dad left our home when I was four years of age. And my mother raised us as a single mom for a number of years. And I'm just here to say that God can use anybody. And regardless of your situation or the dung that you've dealt with, and I don't know that I've ever had a better theology on dung <laughs> than tonight. That, that, was, that was great. I have been dunged as well. I've never used that, used that as a verb, but I'm going to start using it. What a wonderful message. The Apostle Paul knows how us church planters feel. I went to start a church in Enfield, Connecticut years ago, and I felt as if I were all alone. We faced some dark days in those early days, and I felt as if uh, I had made the wrong choice, and I felt as if I wanted to quit day by day. One more day, Doug. I thought he said one more day, Dung. I think it both would have worked. <laughs> and maybe you've said that same thing. You know, the Apostle Paul went to Corinth and I can't help but think, but he went there by himself. You know, he defied all of the modern ideas about starting churches. You know, raising support and uh, having a team of people go with you and having a launch plan and renting a building and all, all the things that we do to start churches today. The Apostle Paul did none of them. When the Apostle Paul showed up as a weary road warrior from Athens and walked into Corinth, he walked in all by himself. If we are to read his testimony, we know that already the body of the Apostle Paul is racked by pain. Already he's gone through some harrowing situations in his life and, and now he's walking into yet another town, yet another place, yet another sin city that needs the gospel and there he is all by himself. And Paul has to eat. Paul has to care for himself. He, he has not... Uh, has no support coming in. Oh, here and there, maybe a love offering. And Philippi, a poor church, might send uh, every now and then, but uh, nothing regular. So what does the Apostle Paul do? He goes to work. He works all day and preaches at night or works all night and preaches during the day and just makes a way, begins to lead people to Christ. We don't know if he led Priscilla and Aquila to Christ. He, he may have, or perhaps they were already Christians, but he certainly discipled them. He just started with one and then two and began to preach and some good things began to happen. And over 18 months, a, a church was founded in Corinth. Oh, what a place. I mean, Corinth was uh, above all places known for its sin. 
It would be like, a, a, in the United States, it would be like Las Vegas, a sin city. It was known for prostitution and known for immorality. It was known as a place that had rejected God, known for its many small g gods, known for worshiping entertainment and sports. Does that sound familiar? A place that didn't have time for God and a place that uh, was just full of themselves and yet the Apostle Paul went there and God did some wonderful things. After about 18 months, the Apostle Paul took Priscilla and Aquila. He left town. Other places to go, other cities to reach, uh, other gospel messages to preach, and so he left. He went to Ephesus, and there he left Priscilla and Aquila. The Apostle Paul made his way back to his home church in Antioch of Syria. In the meantime, Priscilla and Aquila met a man by the name of Apollos. And Apollos was a preacher from Egypt, from Alexandria. He knew the Lord, but only through the context of John the Baptist. And he didn't know all the theology he should have known. And uh, Priscilla and Aquila, taught by Paul, uh, taught Apollos and filled in some of those theological gaps. And now, the, uh, now Apollos, who has great skill, oratory ability, takes that ability and that new theology, and he goes to Corinth. And there he preaches, and wow, some great things happen. And uh, he sees many Jews come to Christ, and these were people that Paul even had trouble uh, winning in Corinth. He did a better job with Gentiles, and good things are happening. God's using a Paul in one way, God's using Apollos in another way. It just seems like good things are happening. And yet, and yet the church at Corinth just still seems to struggle. They've been saved, but they seem to be behaving more like the Corinth that's around them than the Christ that's in them. I think sometimes modern churches suffer the same way. They, they, they want more to be like the Corinth around them than the Christ in them. And what was the Corinth around them? Look, the Corinth around them was a, a Corinth that said, uh, hey, be somebody. The Corinth around them was a, was a, a Corinth that said, hey, uh, fight your way and climb that ladder. Uh, uh, find a patron that will, that will finance your success. And they thought that church was the same thing. And so they began to, uh, they began to fight and to bicker and, and to who's best and who's biggest and who's the best speaker and who has the biggest gift. Boy, that was an easy thing to do at Corinth because of all the churches that Paul had ever preached at, of all the churches that Paul had ever started, the church at Corinth was the most gifted. Boy, if you wanted to go to a church and hear some good music, you go to Corinth. Boy, if you wanted to go to, uh, to a church and hear some good preaching, you go to Corinth. If you wanted to go to an exciting conference, you go to Corinth. I mean, Corinth is where it was happening. They were a gifted bunch, but giftedness is not godliness. Just because somebody has a great oratory ability or somebody has great theological prowess or just because somebody has a gift that, that God has given him for the purpose of the edification of the saints does not necessarily mean that that person is walking with Christ. And certainly that was not the case in Corinth. They were concerned about self and, and self-aggrandizement and climbing that, 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 that ladder and being somebody. And the Apostle Paul had to deal with them. Matter of fact, the Apostle Paul dealt with them pretty severely. He wrote them at least four letters. You say, well, uh, Kurt, there are only two uh, letters in the Bible called Corinthians, first and second. Yeah, but there were four, four letters. 
The first letter was a letter that Paul wrote before 1 Corinthians. He references it in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 9. It was a painful letter. He wrote a letter dealing with some of these issues, like some of the immorality in the church that they were just kind of overlooking, and some of the issues in the church that they just weren't dealing with. The Apostle Paul dealt with it, thinking, hey, that, that's got to handle the situation. I, I, I've called them out on it. I've written them the letter. I mean, this is no doubt going to care for the situation. But when the Apostle Paul comes back to Ephesus, when he gets back to Ephesus, there's some people there to meet him. Like there's, so there's, there's one, one person who's of the household of Chloe. What does that mean? That means he might have been a, a household servant, maybe a family member, but happens to be in Ephesus. And said, Paul, I've got some bad news for you. Really, what is it? Well, you know that letter that you wrote there to the church at Corinth? Yeah, I know that letter. Well, they're, they're not following it at all. It's, not, it's not, not made one bit of difference. I mean, they're still just persisting in their carnality. No doubt that disappointed the Apostle Paul. Oh, guess what? Apollos also is back in Ephesus now. It's been some time. He's been to Corinth, but now he's back. And so Apollos and Paul no doubt talk about it as well. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 16 that Apollos is there. Oh, and and by the way, uh, the church at Corinth, they've sent an official delegation. Stephanus and Fortunatus and, and Achaicus, they've come officially from the church, church of Corinth. They have all these questions about marriage and about spiritual gifts and about all this stuff. And the Apostle Paul's just swimming like, does this church get it? Does this church get it? And some of these people are saying, oh, they get it, the apostle said. Uh, they, they get it. Matter of fact, there's a whole group at that church that they just, everything, they hang on every word you say. I mean, they got little banners that say, we're of Paul, we're of Paul. I mean, they love you. Paul says, oh my, this thing is worse than I ever thought it would be. And 1 Corinthians chapter 3 helps us to understand the mindset of a pastor that's dealing with a difficult situation. Now, I want to show you the three corrective views that Paul had. And I think these are the same views, the same a rationale that you ought to have about your church, that I ought to have about my church to help me be a grounded and effective minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is not just an application to pastors. I'm talking about deacons and leaders in your church and Sunday school teachers and godly moms and dads. Listen tonight, this is for every one of us. How can we, have, how can we be grounded leaders in carnal churches? Watch what it says here in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse number 1. And notice with me firstly tonight that Paul had a correct view about his people. He had a correct view about his people. Watch it here in verse number 1. Where the Bible says, And I, brethren, I could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. Uh, Paul had a correct view. He knew the state of his flock. You know, I've pastored now, I've been a senior pastor for 30 years. I've pastored three different churches, a church we started 30 years ago in Enfield, Connecticut, a church I pastored for 20 years in the Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania area, and now for the last uh, five and a half years in the Washington, D.C. area of the United States, I've been a pastor. And I know that 
Pastoring in the States is different perhaps than pastoring in Australia, but there are certain commonalities to pastors, whether you're in India or China or America or anywhere, whether you're pastoring now or 2,000 years ago, there are certain commonalities in pastoring. And one of them is this, we have to pastor imperfect people. And we are imperfect pastors that pastor imperfect people. And one of the jobs that God gives us as under shepherds is that we are to know the state of the flock whom we pastor. We're to know them. I think sometimes we want for our church to be something that they're not. Sometimes we, we, we sometimes even erroneously think that there's something that they're not. Like we have, we're the ostrich with our head in the stand and just thinking that there's something that they're not. But we've got to know who they are because unless we know the state of our flock, we can't deal with them with the needs that they need, that, that they, they, they need solved in their life. We've got to know where they are to give them what they need. And the Apostle Paul didn't mince any words. He said, listen, let me tell you something about you, Corinth. I know where you are spiritually. Can I ask you a question tonight? Do you know where your church is spiritually? Do you? And not, not just, the, not, not just the, the superficial indications of, well, you know, church was full. Offerings are good. Song service sounded great. Now, that all might be good, but that's, those aren't necessarily indicators of spirituality. And what the Apostle Paul said is, listen, I know where this church is, and I know how to deal with the situation that they're facing. I know my people. I know the state of my flock. It's interesting. He introduces this word to us. Now, we know the word. Oh, but they would not have known the word. He introduces the word. He, he says, listen, over here, there are people that are spiritual. And he defines that in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. A spiritual man is one who has been born of God's spirit. We know this, that before we're saved, our spirit is dead. You, uh, you have the quickened who are dead in trespasses and in sins. And when you trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, your spirit came alive. And now you have the opportunity to communicate with God via the Holy Spirit of God, right? We have an enlivened spirit. And so if you're born of the Spirit of God, you are spiritual. That is your positional status. And so in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, we have spiritual people as opposed to the natural man. Who is the natural man? The natural man is the man who's never been saved. The natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. They're foolishness in him. Neither can he know them. They are spiritually discerned. So it would appear that the only two kinds of people there are in the world are saved people and unsaved people. Right? It would appear that the only two kinds of people in the world are saved people. They are spiritual. And unsaved people, they're natural. But Paul introduces a third category, doesn't he? And the third category he introduces is the category by which he labels this church. And he says, this category is the people that are carnal. So who is a carnal person? A carnal person is a spiritual person who is acting, behaving, and thinking like a natural person. So a carnal person is a spiritual person who's thinking, behaving, uh, acting like a, an unsaved person, a natural man. And Paul said, that is you. You're carnal. Now, if I were to say to you tonight, you know, describe carnality, I think typically the way we would describe that is we describe it in terms of immoral behavior. Well, just look at the way she dresses. Or look at what they listen to. Look at what they're watching. Look at the habits they have. Now, is that an element of carnality? Absolutely. Absolutely. 
Absolutely. But when Paul defined carnality, it's interesting how he defined it. He said, you're carnal. Here's the way you're carnal. You're carnal in that you have envy. And that envy has produced fighting. And that fighting has emerged into divisions. Carnality is a matter of envy that has caused fighting that has formed divisions. Now, I wonder, is your church carnal? I wonder, are we carnal? Have we, because of envy, and by the way, envy is a strong desire, but it's a misplaced loyalty to something other than God. And the envy that they had was a strong desire to be loyal to human leadership. We are of Paul. I went to this Bible college. I grew up under this preacher. This is my favorite theologian, so I only read. I'm going to tell you something. Envy produces strife, which results in divisions. And you know who the great divider is, don't you? And any, stra- any strategist understands that to win a war, you divide and... Yeah. And we're conquered. Now listen, I am not suggesting ecumenicism. I'm not suggesting that we don't, do, that, that we don't uh, draw d- doctrinal lines. What I'm saying is, in, in our churches, we have allowed far too much carnality. We've allowed far too much divisiveness. The Apostle Paul said, listen, I know my church. And I know that my church is not even ready to grow in ways that they need to grow because they're not dealing with the envy and the division in their own heart. You've got gifted people that won't talk to other gifted people. You've got, you've got, you've got people that, that, that have these wonderful gifts given from God that can't even serve with other people that have wonderful gifts given by God. And we countenance that as pastors. We know that this one can't speak to this one and this group doesn't really get along with this group and we just kind of we, we are, are, are truce makers and we, we deal with, listen, we've got to deal with this unity in our churches. The Apostle Paul said, I know the state of my people and my goal is that our people as one would serve the God that so richly deserves to be served. Do you know the state of your people? Number two. Not only did he have a correct view of his people, but I think he had a correct view of his preaching. Look at verse number two of our text. And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. Watch this. I have fed you with milk and not with meat. That must have been tough for them to hear. Listen, I want you to to tell you, I've been treating you like babies. Now listen, babies are cute. A moment ago, we heard a baby crying, going out. Listen, I never fault a baby that cries. Babies are cute. I love babies, okay? But have you ever dealt with a kid that's like seven years old that still talks like a baby? It's not cute. Right? Remember when your kid was five and he was trying, Mama, I want, I want, give me food. I want, I want, I, I want, carry me, carry me. 
Talk like a big boy, right? Talk like a big boy. Okay, you're beyond that. Baby talks over. The Apostle Paul said, listen, I've been treating you like babies way too long. I'm feeding you with milk. So what was Paul's view on preaching? I think, first of all, his view on preaching is, I want to give people nutritious meals. I'm going to feed them. Listen, we have to understand the state of our flock because we have to know what people can handle. We preach messages to our people not for our benefit, for their benefit. Sometimes we're going through the 97th message on Romans and people can't even understand, you know, uh, 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 they, can't, they, they don't even know the, the, the ABCs of Christianity. What the Apostle Paul says is, I know the state of my flock so that in knowing the state of my flock, I can preach to them at their level the things that they need because I'm going to feed them. And by the way, feeding always only has one source and that is the Word of God. And can I just say this? That a conference like this ought to be a reminder to all of us that what our people need is they need the Word of God. It's the Word of God that changes lives. Not your personality, not your organization, not your next methodology, not some new way. Listen, it's the, word, it's the faithful teaching and preaching of God's Word that changes lives. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way by taking heed thereto according to thy word. With my whole heart I've sought thee, O let me not wander from thy commandments. Thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against thee. Hey, it's the word of God's quick and powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joint and marrow. It's a discerner. The Bible is uh, of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Only the Bible can go down to the heart level. Only the Bible can show people who they are. Only the Bible has the power to change lives. So stick with the Bible. And I know sometimes it seems long and arduous, but just stick with the Bible. Line by line, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book, give them the Bible. Hey, listen, if you want to listen to my preaching, it's going to be very, very boring over time. You know know what I'm going to do in my preaching? I'm going to explain the text. I'm going to illustrate it. I'm going to apply it. I'm going to go to the next verse. I'm going to explain it. I'm going to illustrate it. I'm going to apply it. I'm going to go to the next verse. You know why? Because it's the Bible that changes lives. And what the Apostle Paul said is, listen, my view on ministry is I'm going to feed you. I'm going to feed you. I'm going to feed you. Are we willing to feed people the Word of God? Paul said, I'm going to give you a nutritious meal. But not only did he give them a nutritious meal, look at verse number two again, where I have fed you with milk, not with meat. But he gave them a nutritious meal, but he gave them a digestible meal. I wonder, are you giving your people a digestible meal? Are you giving your Sunday school class a digestible meal? Are you sharing a devotion with your children at night that's a digestible meal? Are you meeting them where they are, knowing who they are, teaching them what they need. That's what Paul did. Hey, Paul wanted to be here. Boy, I wish I could say this. He said to the, if he wrote Hebrews, he said to the Hebrews, boy, you ought to be teaching by now, but you're here, but I'm still willing to give you what you need. I wish I could say this. I wish I could go there, but I'm going to keep on giving you what you need until you get it. Stay committed to giving people what they need until they get it. And so he gave them a nutritious meal. He gave them a digestible meal, but ultimately he gave them an unsustainable meal. 
You know what Paul realized? Paul realized, listen, I'm giving you something. I'm feeding you something. You're getting milk, but you need more. I'm giving you milk, and that's all you can handle right now. That's all you can digest. You're going to throw up something else, but, but, but you need more. My, my biological dad, I was talking to Brother Mansour uh, earlier today about my biological dad. He died when, I was, when, when he was 56. That's, that's, that's an eerie age for me because I, I'm 55 right now. I'll be 56 this year in just a couple months. My dad died at 56. When my dad died of pancreatic cancer, the last few months of his life, he lay in a hospital bed. Big six foot five. But he had withered away to about 100 pounds. He looked like a living skeleton. I said to the doctor, I said, what, what can we do? He said, not much. I said, is there anything we can do? He said, just try to get him to eat something. I never forget sitting by my dad with a little jar of applesauce and taking that spoon and say, Dad, can you take a bite? Dad, just one bite. Dad, take a bite. I put the applesauce in his mouth. Good. That's good. That's good, Dad. That's good. Dad, two more bites. Come on. Come on, Dad. Two more bites. Sometimes that's the way we pastor. And all the time we're doing it, we know this is not enough. They need so much more. But this is all they can handle right now. Do you know the state of your flock? Are you giving them what you know they need and what they can handle in that moment? That's what Paul did. That's what a loving dad does. That's what a loving mom and Sunday school teacher, that's what a loving pastor does. Do you know your people? Do you know your preaching? Do you know your priority? And then lastly tonight, do you know your position? And don't miss this. Because I think this is the part where we really... Next, first, that first Corinthians, rather, chapter 3 and verse number 4. The Bible says, For while one saith, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are you not carnal? And by the way, which one of us would not like to have a contingent of people that said, you're my favorite preacher? And no one preaches like you. I don't even, like when, other go, when the other pastors preach, when you're away, I don't even come to church because I want to hear you. <laughs> and sometimes we foment that. Well, you know. And sometimes the difficult thing is not to deal with the critic. Sometimes the difficult thing in ministry is to deal with the people that over, overestimate you. That was the problem. The problem was not in those that were criticizing Paul. It was in those that were overestimating Paul. So Paul was more than willing to downplay people that were overestimating him. And watch how he does that. He says, I am of Paul. I am of Apollos. Now look at verse 5. Here it is. How he deals with his position. Who then is Paul? Do you know that the pronoun who is neuter in the Greek language here? Now, what does that mean? Does that mean that Paul was non-binary? 
No, what that means is that Paul was not speaking about him as a person. He was speaking about his position. So Paul says, okay, what is my position? Who, who am I? As a pastor, who am I? As an apostle, who am I? Now watch what he says. Who then is Paul? Who is Apollos? Watch this. But ministers, diakonos. But ministers by whom you believed, even as the Lord gave to every man. You know what the word minister means? You know this. You've preached this. You know what the word minister literally means? It means a table waiter. It means a table waiter. So the Apostle Paul said, let me, let me just, let me frame to you who I am. Those of you that think more highly of me than you ought to think. Those that think less of me than you ought to think. The, the whole point that Paul was making is when you think of the waiter, you're thinking of the wrong person anyway. By the way, we do the same thing. You go to a restaurant, who gets all the praise? The waiter. Oh, that was a great steak. Thank you. The waiter's like, you're welcome. <laughs> right? Or you'll say, you call this medium rare? You know, it's like, he's, I'm sorry. He didn't cook it. Right? That's what happens in ministry. We take the food from behind the door where we spend time with the chef and we take his food that he's prepared in his word, we take it out on a tray, we call it a pulpit, and we present it to people. And sometimes they say, oh, that was great food. And we're like, yeah, as if we made it. <laughs> or they'll say, boy, that food was really bad, as if, and then we get mad or, or upset as if we made it. And Paul said, listen, it's not about the table waiter. And then I did some reading about what was a table waiter 2,000 years ago. So we think about a table waiter, we think about Outback. You know, we think about, you know, uh, the local restaurant. That's what we think about. But, but, but when you think about a table waiter 2,000 years ago, who was a table waiter 2,000 years ago? Here's what I learned. A table waiter 2,000 years ago was a slave. And a typically, a table waiter 2,000 years ago would go into these, these drunken feasts and people would actually recline on, on recliners that were set up high so that when you came in to wait upon them, they were in a reclining position and you're at their feet. I already don't want to be a waiter. And they would assign two table waiters for every person. And one table waiter's job was to have a, a cloth and to wipe the mouth of the person that was eating. Because the feast would take five hours. You say, well, how would someone eat for five hours? They would purge themselves so that they could eat more. And when they would purge themselves, that purging... Well, we're talking about dung and purging. Isn't this a great night? <laughs> and when they purged themselves, the other table waiter got to clean it up. Paul said, you want to think about me as somebody? Think about me as a table waiter who's willing to deal with the mess, who's willing to serve the food, who's willing to stand by 
That's the way I want you to think about me. Wow. See, we in America, you know what our problem is? Celebrity pastors. And by the way, you can have a celebrity pastor mindset in a church of 20 people. Now, I was a celebrity dad, you know, when, I was, when my kids were like seven. I came home from work one day, and my, my son, Caleb, who must have been six, about six years old, said to me, Dad, Tiger Woods, now Caleb is like he's 27 years old, so this is back in the late 90s, Tiger Woods is the best golfer in the whole world. And I just looked at him and said, Caleb, I'm better than Tiger Woods. <laughs> and he looked at me and said, really? I said, I'm older. Yeah, you because know, when you're seven, the nine-year-old's always tougher and bigger. He's like, wow. So he told all his friends at school, my dad is a better golfer than Tiger Woods. <laughs> said, what'd you do? I just let him talk. He's a kid. <laughs> we're, we're driving to school one day, and uh, my, my son Joshua, he's in third grade. And we, we go by the same park every day. It's called Memorial Park. And in Memorial Park, there's a, a Vietnam-era fighter jet. And so we'd go by every day, and... And my son Josh one day said, Dad, that's such a cool jet. I said, I know. I, f- I used to fly that jet. <laughs> he looks at me said, really? I said, yeah, back in the war. I, I flew that jet all over. I'm thinking, there's no way he's going to believe this. He did. <laughs> he went to school and told all his friends. My dad flew that fighter jet. And they went home and told their parents. Pastor Skelly flew that fight. Well, the parents came to church on Sunday. They didn't, I could have preached John 3.16 and they wouldn't have believed it. <laughs> now, I was a celebrity dad. But you know, when I, those kids got to be 17 and 18 years old, they didn't believe a word I said. <laughs> dad, you know, he doesn't know anything. So my, even my daughter, even my daughter. You know, when my daughter was 13, I'd be like, you're not leaving the house wearing that. Then she's 18, looking at me, Dad, you're not leaving the house wearing that, you know? It's like, Dad, you look like an old man. I am an old man! Now my kids are in their 30s and 20s, and you know what? Every now and then they'll call. Oh, we talk more than that, but every now and then they'll call for, Dad, I need advice about this. Dad, help me with... They know that I'm not a fighter jet pilot. They know I'm not a great golfer. But you know they have a balanced view now. You know what we need? We need a balanced view of our leadership. And we need to help people have that balanced view. Paul said, I'm a table waiter. We're out of time. Let me just give you one more. There's a bunch of them, but let me give you one more. Look at verse number number, uh, 6. I'm a table waiter, verse five, verse 5. I'm a minister. Look at verse 6. I've planted. Hey, I'm a farmer. I'm a farmer. I've planted. All throughout the Bible, God uses uh, kingdom work uh, in, in terms of harvesting. Pray you therefore the Lord of the harvest. He'll send forth laborers into his harvest. You know, Jesus never said he'd send forth planters into his harvest. Jesus never said, I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm praying for waterers for my harvest. Jesus is looking for laborers. So whatever gift he gives you, whatever job he assigns you, just do the job you've been given to do as part of the labor for the big picture. Because sometimes God puts you in a field that's not ready for harvest yet. 
And you have, the, you have the thankless task of just digging up earth. And you might have the thankless task of just taking seeds and putting them in the ground. And you might have the thankless task of year after year after year after year after year, all you're doing is watering. By the way, every part of this is the Word of God. You plant with the Word of God. You water with the Word of God. It's all about the Word of God. But you're faithful day after day after week after month after year after year after year. The harvest does come. It's just not the timetable that we always want. And so Paul said, listen, I did the planting. Uh, Apollos did the watering. In other words, all of you that think that I had a negligible influence among the Jews, hey, listen, I planted among the Jews. They didn't like my message. They didn't believe my message, but I gave them the word of God. Then Apollos came and gave them the word of God, which he learned from people that I taught because I taught people who taught the guy that taught the people that I couldn't reach. We're part of the same team. You get that? We're part of the same team. So Paul said, listen, I'm a, I'm a table waiter. I'm a farmer. As farmers, we're different. One has this job at this time. Another one has this job at this time. But God does his thing. As farmers, Paul said, I, we're de-emphasized. I'm just the planter. Apollos, he's just the waterer. It's God. It's God. It's God, it's God that gives the increase. So we're different. We ought to be de-emphasized. And finally, we're dependent. We're dependent, obviously, upon him. But can I just say this? We are dependent on each other. Paul, I need you, Apollos. Apollos, I need you, Paul. And can I just say to this group in this room, you might do things differently than I do. We might not cross our eyes, or cross our eyes. <laughs> it's late. We might not cross our T's and dot our eyes the same way. If you love Jesus, if you love that book, if you're trying to win people to Jesus Christ, listen, you're on my team, you're in my field, we're serving Jesus, let's go. A right view on people, a right view on preaching, a right view on ourselves. Boy, that'll do a whole lot to a right way to reach Australia. Father, thank you for the opportunity tonight to say a word or two. Thank you, God, for your word. Its power is amazing. Its applicability to our lives is astounding. And, oh, God, tonight I pray that you would bless my friends in this room. We need you desperately. God, would you give us wisdom about our own flock? Give us insight into what they need. Help us, God, to meet them where they are. Lord, I'm praying for a mom tonight. I'm praying for a dad tonight. Struggling with a wayward son. Maybe even an adult child. Lord, give them insight to know where they're at, how to talk what to deal with, what portion of scripture to share, how to give a digestible meal. Oh God, tonight, would you just notch us back a step? May we see you high and lifted up. May we look around this room and see other laborers in the same field, 
maybe doing a different job at a different time. But oh God, tonight, would you help us to have a healthy view of you and ourselves for the gospel's sake. Our heads are bowed for a moment. Our eyes are closed. You've heard the message. You heard a great message earlier on God using seemingly smelly, rough, hard things in our life for our fruitfulness. Maybe God spoke to your heart in a profound way about that. Would you come in a moment and tell the Lord about it? Maybe, honestly, and no pun intended, thanking him for that dung, thanking him for that carcass, coming and saying, oh God, thank you. Romans 8, 28, God, it's there, and you've done it for me, thank you. Or maybe tonight God's spoken to you in this area. Well, I need to have a right view about my people. I need to just get back to the simplicity of line by line, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, give people the word of God. I need to notch back my view of self and notch up my view of God and my fellow laborers. Oh, God, help me tonight. How about it? In a moment, the piano music's going to play. I know it's late. Can we take a moment or two and just come to this altar and say, God, you spoke to my heart tonight. And God, I want to speak to you about that right now. Let's stand together. Father, bless this invitation. Oh, God, tonight, help us. Help us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.